Today on CityCast DC, our contributor Cornelia Poku of Black Girls Explore DC is here to teach me all about ghost kitchens. Those are the eateries that have no seating of their own and sometimes don't even have their own exclusive cooking spaces. Cornelia has spoken with a bunch of owners about why this model is popular now and how it works. It's Thursday, September 16th, 2022. I'm Michael Schaefer, and this is CityCast DC. All right, so Cornelia, for the uninitiated, what is a ghost kitchen? A ghost kitchen is food service without a dine-in option. So there's a huge focus on using delivery services and some offer, you know, come to a window and pick up or something, but you don't, you know, that's kind of where the ghost name comes from is like, there's not really a place that you can visit. It's phantom-like. So yeah, that's what a ghost kitchen is. And this was like a thing in the pandemic, right? When when uh, restaurants had to be closed and when people didn't want to go out to crowded places anyway. But people are going out now and they are still here. Why is that? Yeah, so ghost kitchens definitely um, increased, um, had a meteoric rise, it feels like, during the pandemic. But they've always been around. So you have Mess Hall in Brookland, which has been around since 2014. And then Union Kitchen in Ivy City, which has been around since 2012. So both of those were running several small business restaurants um, that were doing delivery for years before the pandemic. And they continue to, I think they grew in popularity because a lot of people had to pivot. So I had a conversation with Al Goldberg and he founded Mess Hall. And the words that he used for ghost kitchens were a gateway to launching a dream business. He speaks about that because ghost kitchens are legal, they're licensed, um, and they bring a variety of new, delicious, affordable options to the workplace, but they have a low barrier of entry to creating a business, right? When you have a brick and mortar place you're worried about making rent, you're worried about long-term lease commitments. Also, you have to think about all the marketing that you're going to do. And there is a level of built-in marketing when you have a ghost kitchen and you're primarily relying on the apps to help you with that. But it's not all newbies, right? There's the, the One of the things about this phenomenon is that some pretty well-established, legit chefs have moved into this kind of work. Yeah, so we have a few examples of chefs who maybe they have a storefront somewhere else. But for example, the owners of Fish Scale, right? So Fish Scale has a storefront in Shaw, but they're opening a ghost kitchen second location. So they can reach people all the way in Maryland at Le Fantôme and get this brand new audience, this brand new people who are going to love Fish Scale, but they don't have to get a whole new building and worry about all the difficulties that go into opening a restaurant and building it out for the food that you want to serve. So are the prices like what you'd expect at a good sit-down restaurant? Yeah, pretty similar. Of course, if you're using a third-party app, be mindful of all the fees. But yeah, the prices are pretty comparable. But so like, if I'm going to drive to like Ivy City to pick up food, I might be a little skeptical that my $30 entree is going to get cold on the drive home. Uh, It's one thing for takeout, but uh, another thing when the prices are high. Do people really want to do this? So 
a lot of them do have like delivery options the same way you might order from a sit-down restaurant established restaurant that's your favorite spot but maybe you just don't want to go there and get the food so it's just typical delivery and in that case I think a lot of people are familiar with or used to the fact that anytime you have something delivered to your house the quality is going to be a little bit different so you just kind of have to be smart about like what is sturdy <laughs> also I think yes there are some items that are pricier but if you're willing to shell that amount of money for your favorite restaurant that you would normally go to a ghost kitchen kind of has the same benefits on the chef side of the equation is the idea that you're going to start this and try it out and it might graduate someday into a real restaurant yeah, so chefs tend to pursue ghost kitchens if they have new things that they want to try. For example, if you're looking at um, Satellite Sando, they are out of Astro Donuts, which has become popular in the area for their donuts and fried chicken. But then they really wanted to kind of have a different concept and a way to get people to eat other foods besides donuts because during the pandemic, you're not just going to like order a dozen donuts. Speak for yourself, Cornelia. <laughs> Um, they wanted to try out this sandwich concept and they came up with Satellite Sando and they make these like also really decadent cookies and it gives them an opportunity to, to branch out without having to spend the money on rental space, staff up completely and all the kind of licensing and expenses that comes along with a brick and mortar, but it is still a legitimate licensed business that gives them an opportunity to be a little bit flexible. So like... I don't know, 10 years ago or something, there was a lot of hype around food trucks in D.C. Like, this mm -hmm. is the new creative thing. And now it's kind of like, well, there's food trucks, you know. Is this, like, going to be the same in, in uh, five, 10 years? It's not going to seem so special. What do you think? I think there's, there's definitely a possibility of that, right? Like, food trends come in and out. There was a time where <laughs> where D.C. had, like, the most cupcakeries of many cities, and that's not really the case anymore. Food trends come in and out all the time, but right now, ghost kitchens are going strong. And it's an interesting thing, like, with, a take a, a donut place. You know, it's going to be busy mm -hmm. cooking donuts at donut time. <laughs> but then the rest of the day, that kitchen's unused. So the idea of letting a chef borrow it to uh, cook takeout, that seems like, again, a win-win for everybody and a good use of space. Yeah, I completely agree. That's one way that ghost kitchens have been used. There's also ghost kitchens all day. That's, that's what they're doing. And it gives the entrepreneurs a chance to figure out what works for them on their menu, with their customers, and what it takes to kind of run a business when they're not like that one shop operation out of their home or, you know, whatever they were doing before. David, thanks for chatting with me. So like you and I both have cars in the DC metro area and sometimes they're great, but sometimes they can be a hassle. And I heard you had car issues, man. Yes, my car, like me, is old and falling apart. And <laughs> so I wanted to get it fixed. But one of the truly unpleasant tasks I find in the world is getting your car fixed because you have to take it usually somewhere extremely distant, extremely inconvenient, arrange some alternate form of transportation. And so I heard about Rota, Rota.com. And I went on the Rota.com website. And they will come and pick your car up, take it from you, and then do the work and bring it back to you. And so. I made an appointment on Roto, which was easy as pie, beautiful user interface um, for the work that I wanted done. The valet showed up at around 10 o'clock at my house as exactly on time. 
very easy, just handed him my keys. He drove off with my car. About an hour later, April called me. She said, here are some things that we found with your car in addition to what you want to do. She sent me videos that Michael- Wait, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a car nerd, so I like want to know the nitty gritty of what's happening because I I don't know stuff. A million percent. They sent me this video. There was a particular belt that was had broken, and they sent me a video of it. And they sent me a list of sort of here are the things that were recommended. Here are the things that seemed urgent to fix, and I could choose what I wanted to fix. And sent that back to them, which took me like three minutes. Michael, the technician, fixed it. They then texted me and said, "Oh, your car's on the way back." My car was back in front of my house at 2.30. I'd given it to them at 10. It was back in front of my house that afternoon. Also, note, the valet did a much better job parking in front of my house than I do. (laughs) Don't they always? So much closer to the curb. And it was an incredibly pleasant, super easy experience. And they were very trustworthy. They were clear about what they were going to fix. And it was incredibly convenient. Yeah. So this, like, seems like a dream. Uh, I have used them before, but it's been a bit. Would you use them again for something like this? I would use Rhoda again in a second. I would use Rhoda. And they have a discount for us, too, for CityCast listeners. So if you go to Rhoda.com, they have the discount code CityCast20, and you get 20% off. Sweet. Uh, Plots. David, thank you so much for talking with me. Again, CityCast listeners, you get 20% off off any Rhoda service, up to $100, using the code CityCast20. So go to Rhoda.com. That's R-O-D-A.com to book your appointment. So is like DC unique compared to other cities, New York or Boston or Chicago or something, when it comes to this being a trend and this being a common? So ghost kitchens have definitely been growing all around the country. Um, There were so many news pieces about that at the start of the pandemic. I think what makes D.C. unique is the size. So we're still a city, but we're on the smaller side. So just as I can get food from D.C., like D.C. proper, to my home in Maryland, and people in D.C. can get food from Virginia, so you actually do have a wider set of access to all these different brands that are popping up in ghost kitchens all around this area. Is this a thing that customers are really caring about? Yeah, so I think that there is a set of customers who like are looking for that brand new pop-up, that brand new food opportunity because they want to be ahead of the curve, ahead of the trend. Um, And so they are people who are paying attention to ghost kitchens. They want to know what's hip and cool. And then there's people who like pick up their DoorDash app every day (laughs) and kind of scroll through it. And they're not really paying attention to who is a ghost kitchen and who is a brick and mortar, but they do know that there's a whole bunch of options and every time they refresh the app, there's something fresh and new there to try. So I think that consumers, uh, there's a degree of consumers that know and care and then there's some that don't know and don't necessarily care, but they're appreciative. Why is DC in particular a good place for ghost kitchens? Yeah, so DC is a great place for ghost kitchens because of the size, right? So it's small enough that you can get food from pretty much anywhere, um, whether you're in Maryland or Virginia, as long as you're within the delivery radius, the brand will probably deliver. So we're small enough in that respect, but then we're also large enough that all the big third-party delivery services are here. So you're always gonna have different price options, to choose from when you want to 
get some food delivered to you. And, you know, DC is a very diverse place. So one of the great things about ghost kitchens is how many people of different ethnicities um, and cultures and communities can gain that access to developing and getting their food out there in a way that if they only had the option of getting a storefront, it would be a lot harder. And so you do get a diversity of food that is so much more representative of DC's racial and ethnic diversity. Man, you're making the ridiculous cost of rent seem like a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> What are the, the downsides for someone who's going to own one? So in terms of downsides for a person who may want to own a ghost kitchen, you have to create your own publicity, right? You've got to be on the social media and getting people to follow you because they're not just going to walk by. You have to make sure that you're spending that money on whether it's ads through Google or promotional ads through the apps, you're going to have to do those things because there's just a lot less opportunity for that foot traffic. And a lot of ghost kitchens, right, they already are working with lower budgets, so they're not going to have a PR company that can go out there and get them earned media. So it's a lower barrier of entry, but then they have to do some more work on the other side to build a following. What about for people ordering the food? What are the downsides? For people ordering the food, most ghost kitchens do not have the option to sit down. You're really not going to have a place to eat your food except for at your house. And so if you're trying to have like a spontaneous meetup with friends, right, you're probably not going to do a ghost kitchen unless everybody's coming over. Another downside for consumers is actually choice fatigue. So you have all these options, right? You you open your app and trying to find your favorite restaurant and now you can't find it anymore because the ghost kitchen has closed and now you have to find something else. So it does kind of have a non-permanence and so many options. So that could also be a downside for consumers. But sometimes you're just feeling hungry and lazy and you don't want to think too much. Exactly. <laughs> So what are some of the places people love? So um, Mess Hall has a slew of options. The last time I checked, they had these like fantastic macarons, like a macaron brand that was running out of there. Um, Where is they, that, by the way? Mess Hall is in Brooklyn. Gotcha. Then you also have like Your Only Friend is a ghost kitchen that I discovered during the pandemic. They came out of um, Columbia Room Bar and they started making sandwiches and just got super duper popular and now are creating their storefront. Della Barba is a ghost kitchen that's been around since before the pandemic. I was a huge fan of their pizza prior. And they are also creating a storefront down in um, Capitol Hill. So there are some really, really good options of ghost kitchens that are becoming storefronts and then also ghost kitchens that are just now kind of getting their start as well. And then there's this place you've mentioned, Le Fantôme, which is just open. You've mm -hmm. been. Tell us about your thoughts and feelings. Yeah, so this one is actually a pretty creative concept. So they have three vendor stalls that you can just like come in, walk up and eat their food or whatever. But then they also have seven ghost kitchens that are not visible to the public. You can order on your phone or through an app or through the, their QR codes in the actual establishment and they'll bring the food to you but you can't really like interact with any of the owners or anything like that i mean that's 10 options right there in that small building so what did you expect when you went to the phantom was it different than what you expected 
yeah, it was different than what I expected because you hear there's 10 different places in there. You know, you have to remember that seven of them are ghost kitchens. So it was actually like smaller than I saw coming. But something I didn't expect was there is a full bar inside and they're open all day. So you can, you know, I don't know, for that area, there's like the University of Maryland. You could conceivably go sit there in the morning, get a cup of coffee and be there for the rest of the day and get breakfast, lunch and dinner. But yeah, it's just a really like comfortable environment. Like I said, there's a full bar, there's patio. So it's like a food hall ghost kitchen combination, which is pretty unique um, because we've seen ghost kitchens and then we've seen food halls and this is like a hybrid. Hey, Cornelia, thank you for joining us. This was fun. Thank you. And before you go, some quick news. An Arlington man ran 3,200 miles across the country from San Francisco's City Hall to the shores of Rehoboth Beach. It took him 61 days. He did zero stretching, carbo-loaded the whole way, and ran for 24 hours nonstop to cover 100 miles in one go. And I am tired just saying that. Meanwhile, Fairfax County's Board of Supervisors voted to rename Lee Highway and Lee Jackson Memorial Highway, which are both named for Confederate generals, to Route 29 and Route 50. The decision must be approved by the Commonwealth Transportation Board before it's official. They estimate that about 230 signs will need to be replaced, with an overall cost of nearly $3 million. Those are some expensive signs. And lastly, Amazon is funding $147 million in affordable housing throughout the District, Virginia, and Maryland. 50% of the units will be for low-income families, with large projects in Southeast D.C.'s Ward 8 and the Carver-Langston neighborhood. The tech giant is continuing to build its HQ2 in Virginia and sees this as a way to advance housing opportunities in its quote-unquote hometown. And that's our show, folks. If you're enjoying CityCast DC, tell your family about it over some takeout from your nearest ghost kitchen. Be sure to also subscribe to our newsletter at dc.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye.